Everyone, welcome back. It's good to have you here. This week, I wanted to do something a little bit different that I've sort of touched on a couple of times, but something that I hope to implement into this show uh, consistently going forward, and that is just general commentary on the sport of ultra running. Now, uh, of course, I don't want this show to be exclusively about ultra running, as I've mentioned a couple of times here over the first few episodes. And the reason for that is just because, quite frankly, I think I probably lose interest pretty quickly and there's just a lot of other things that uh pique my curiosity of course i do think ultra running is the greatest sport in the world it's amazing it's changed my life in so many different positive ways and we'll go into that a lot in this episode but if there's anything else that you want me to sort of cover any other ideas that you have as it pertains to this podcast, things that you want me to touch on, people you want me to talk to, I'd really enjoy hearing from you. So please do reach out with any and all feedback. But, you know, this particular episode, we are going to go into the weeds of ultra running. And uh, I figured it'd be a good time to sort of kick off the year, kick off the 2020 season by just talking about a couple of the important pieces of news that have happened in our sport here recently. And of course, The episode that I did with Dominic was fun and retrospective, uh, but the way things are changing and and moving so rapidly in our sport, I want to be able to give the fans uh, a little bit more real-time analysis on what's going on, a little bit more insight into how I view things that are going on, particularly as it relates to the professional end of the sport, both the athletes and the events and just the general news of the day. So uh, the reason for that is just because, you know, as a fan of sport and of sports talk radio, I know it's just something that I would love to listen to. And I don't really think it exists at the moment in our sport. So I figured I'd sort of take it upon myself to cover it a little bit more here on this podcast. So I hope you guys do enjoy. Occasionally I'll uh, just sort of check in and and comment on, on major events and developments, athletes, races, and ideally open the discussion to other people as well. Well, um, I do find that I much prefer these conversations when they're in person. I think it just leads to much better content. So uh, ideally, that will be the case going forward. And there was no such individual to join me this week. So I hope you don't mind a single person monologue delivered by yours truly about the latest in ultra running. So that's what we're going to get into today. And then at the end of the episode, I've got a a special treat for you, a new segment of the show that we're going to be introducing this week called Deb's Poetry Corner. This is going to be a fun and I think semi-consistent thing that I want to implement into the show as well that I hope you guys like, although it's kind of out of left field and different. And it's basically just my amazing mother-in-law, Deborah Buchanan, Harmony's mother, 
who's a great poet. And uh, I often love reading and, uh, and sharing her poetry with people close to me. And uh, I asked her if she wouldn't mind occasionally contributing to the show by just reading one of her poems for us. So while clearly not ultra specific, uh, I think it's something that you guys will enjoy that I certainly enjoy. And uh, yeah, something that I hope to just occasionally sprinkle in every every now and again. But before we get to Debbie, there's a lot of news to touch on uh, in the world of ultra running. So let's dive right into it. Um, of course, this time of the year is really fun in that sort of the time of the year when people are kind of designing their race calendars, deciding what they want to devote their time and energy to in the new year, 2020. And of course, a lot of the top athletes start publishing their uh, event calendars, <clears throat> a lot of the top races start um, publicizing the lists of the names of the, the top athletes that are going to be competing. And so that's sort of what I wanted to, to touch on here this week. Uh, and of course, it's sort of like touching on the major events in the world, of, of course, the name brand worldwide recognized 100 milers that are UTMB and Western states specifically. Uh, we'll touch on a couple more things, but that'll be kind of the focus here. And I figured we'd just sort of kick it off again, just in monologue fashion, just by giving you some of my perspective as a fan of the sport on the pro fields that have uh, been assembled at UTMB, which is, of course, still far off in the future and a lot can change. But, you know, again, like it's just so exciting when these fields start coming together and they start publishing the lists to start thinking about the different dynamics in the competition and the different athletes that are going to be involved and um, start to kind of uh, think about it, make predictions in your head, uh, visualize, you know, the different strengths and weaknesses of different athletes and how it might uh, portend their eventual performance on, on race day. So, you know, UTMB specifically is really interesting this year. Uh, and, you know, having spent a, a, an embarrassing amount of time just sort of perusing the entry list. You know, I think there's, there's a lot uh, going on there that's worth mentioning. Of course, first and foremost, on the men's side, there's four returning champions by my count. Of course, Pau Capel, last year's champion, Xavier Thabnard, a three-time champion, Francois Dane, a three-time champion as well, and Ludovic Pomeray, a Frenchman who won back in 2016, I think it was. And then, you know, obviously, like those four guys alone are incredible athletes, but add into the mix um, some of our favorites here stateside Jim Walmsley, Tim Tollefson, Tim Frericks, Seth Swanson, Zach Miller, all in the field again this year, along with. People like Ryan Sands, Pablo Villa, who won TDS last year, Marcin Swerich, who won TDS two years ago, um, Min Chi from China, and you know Jordi Gamito, and many, many, many other top top athletes. You know, I just see the UTMB field sort of shaping up almost like it did in 2017, which for my money was the most competitive. 100 miler and potentially the most competitive 
ultra in history, at least uh, on the men's side of the professional field. And of course, the only person who's really missing from the competition right now is one Killian Jornet, a certain Spaniard um, who seems to be uh, intimating, at least on Twitter, that he had interest in running the race, but didn't have the necessary points to qualify uh, and may have been turned away as a result. It was a, a tweet that he had sent out in response to Francois Dane, who was making the announcement himself that he would be participating. Killian responded something to the effect of, wow, sounds like a lot of fun, but I don't have the points to participate. Now, of course, you can sort of see it from both sides here, you know, understanding that the the organizers have to draw a line somewhere and have to kind of enforce the the point qualification system that they've put into place. But, you know, it's hard not to also think that maybe there should be an exception for three-time champions uh, because, God, it would just be absolutely bananas to see... Killian Journey in the field again with Francois and Pau and Jim and Xavier and Tim Tollefson and have like a proper rematch of the 2017 UTMB, which of course was one of the very few races in Killian's entire career where he's had to settle for second place. So anyway, it'd be amazing to see Killian in this field. He actually just published on his own website his calendar for the year, and it was interesting in how sparse it was. So to me, you know, obviously Killian has been one of the most prolific racers in the world, both in ski mountaineering and sky running and ultra running over the last eight, ten years. And over the last two, he's really focused on um, – fewer events, shorter events. Um, and it seems, you know, at least according to his post on his website, that this is mostly a result, at least this year of trying to reduce his environmental impact and racing a little bit closer to home. And of course, uh, with his young daughter, um, that he and Emily had uh, a little over a year ago, I believe, uh, it seems, you know, that his, his, uh, priorities are, are shifting a little bit towards towards family and away from competition. Of course, this year he is going to be uh, targeting the Pyramenta Ski Mountaineering Race, as he announced, uh, which I think comes up in March, a multi-day uh, ski mountaineering race in France, uh, which is actually where he broke his leg, um, I think, back in uh, 2017 or 2018. And then the only running race that he seems to be targeting this year is the Pikes Peak Marathon, which may be a result of his inability to get into UTMB, but that's pure speculation on my part. Uh, of course, the uh, Pikes Peak Marathon does have one of the most legendary course records in all of trail and mountain running held by Matt Carpenter, the king of kings on, on Pikes Peak. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe Killian really has his sights set on that, uh, taking down one of the most iconic legendary records in, in all of mountain running and something that I think is stood for, you know, almost 20 years now. So maybe even more than that. So anyway, interesting to see Killian's calendar. I uh, would love to see him race more just as a, a fan of his. I think he's got other climbing projects in the Himalaya coming up, but man, would I love to see him back at UTMB. So yeah, speaking of UTMB again, you know, obviously want to touch on 
the women's field as well. And of course, it's also incredibly deep, but I think my major takeaway from looking at the UTMB women's field is just how incredibly talented and deep the American contingent is. Now, obviously, Courtney DeWalter has sort of been in a league of her own over the last couple of years, defending champion and will likely be, you know, the odds on favorite heading back to Chamonix in August of this year. But behind her, we have on the American front, Camille Heron, who is of course unproven in mountain races, but certainly a great talent. Brittany Peterson, who was second at Western States, but before that had sort of made her name and made her career in in mountain and sky running races. So uh, even though she didn't have a great showing at CCC last year, I can't help but think that UTMB would suit her more so than Western States did, where she finished second in one of the fastest times in Western States history. Uh, behind Brittany, of course, we have Stephanie Howe, a past Western States champ herself. She was fourth at CCC last year and obviously has been one of the best racers in the world over the last decade or so. We also have Caitlin Gerben, who's three-time top tenor at Western States, including finishing second there in 2018. Uh, last year, she was second at Trans Grand Canaria. She was sixth at Madeira. So she's got sort of like that big mountain sort of racing experience, uh, that European style racing experience that I think is so, so valuable for a race like UTMB. We have Hillary Allen, of course, the Hilly Goat, who I just talked to or just published an episode with last week. She was second at TDS last year, coming back from major injury. And finally, we've got Sabrina Stanley, last but not least, a past Hard Rock winner and uh, last year's winner of Diagonal Defoe, which is, of course, one of the hardest races in the world, one of the most important races uh, of 100-mile distance in the world on Reunion Island, um, off the coast of, of Madagascar. So while American women have always been like really great performers at UTMB in the past, who knows, may, maybe this year is the year we see an American sweep of the podium because, you know, pardon my French, the field on the American side is fucking stacked. Of course, it's not going to be easy. We've got uh, a lot of really solid European talent. Um, Ragna Debats, uh, Mimi Kotka, Audrey Tenge, Katrin Gertz, Fernanda Maciel, all in the field again, um, uh, along with, you know, like Lucy Bartholomew, Andy, Andrea Husser, uh, again, you know, obviously it's UTMB. It's the biggest stage in the world. The fields are always going to be deep, but I think this year it's, uh, on the women's side, it's really, really interesting. And the most interesting thing to me again is just how deep the American women's field is. There's one person though, that, I'm wondering why I don't see on the list, or at least I was hopeful to see on the UTMB list. And that is one Claire Gallagher, my good friend from Boulder, Colorado, one of the truly great people in the sport who, you know, at a young age has already established herself as one of the true, true greats 
and somebody who I could see actually putting up a fight for, for a victory there in Chamonix, further cementing her amazing career and legacy in the sport. Obviously, Claire won Western States last year, and she's won CCC, so she's got all the pedigree and talent to win at UTMB, but apparently she's going to be devoting her her energy and her uh, racing uh, priorities elsewhere. And it appears the place that she's going to be devoting that energy is towards Western States. Of course, the most iconic North American hundred miler and something that I thought I'd also touch on here uh, because there are a few interesting storylines that I think will be interesting to follow here throughout the spring as we we approach the big dance there in late June in California. So the Ultra Trail World Tour announced their slots for the 2020 uh, field, of course, uh, as being part of the Ultra Trail World Tour, Western States is obligated to um, allocate a certain number of spots towards elite athletes, usually elite international athletes who don't have an opportunity to race into the field via golden ticket uh, competition experience. Um, But this year, the Ultra Trail World Tour has selected Lucy Bartholomew, uh, Luzia Bueller, Kelly Emerson, Hayden Hawks, Keely Henninger, Camille Heron, Tom Owens, Sebastian Spaler, Audrey Tangay, and Tim Tollefson for their uh, special automatic slots into the Western States 100. And when I saw this list, published, I thought it was really fascinating, right? There's a lot of interesting names to to add to the mix. And of course, this is in addition to the returning top 10 and the future golden ticket recipients. But, you know, looking at the men's field first, obviously two thirds of the men's podium is not going to be returning in 2020 uh, with Jim Walmsley and Tom Evans, both, um, electing not to um, accept their their automatic entry into the 2020 field. Uh, so losing Jim Walmsley and Tom Evans, uh, two young, incredibly talented, incredibly exciting athletes would sort of sort of strike me as disappointing usually, but with the additions of Hayden Hawks and Tim Tollefson, um, certainly two of the most talented American ultra runners at the moment and people who have proven themselves to be two of the best in the world, sort of sliding in uh, to those slots that are being vacated by by Jim and Tom, I think adds a really interesting element to the mix. So I'm very, very excited to see both Tim Tollefson and Hayden um, compete there uh, on the iconic trails between Squaw Valley and, and Auburn, California. I know Tim has roots in the Central Valley. He's got, I think, family nearby. And uh, I talked to him just the other day, and it seems like this is going to be a a big focus of his. And, you know, Tim coming from sort of like a fast road and track collegiate and post-collegiate racing background, you know, he's obviously proven himself to be an amazing 100-mile runner in the mountains. But at least in my opinion, it would seem to me that his strengths would be more suited to a race like Western States than they would for UTMB, which is a scary, scary prospect for his competition. Of course, Hayden's kind of in the same boat, right? Like incredible talent, crazy wheels, 
maybe uh, more suited towards a, a faster track like uh, the Western States trails. I think Sebastian Spaler, Frenchman, is going to add a really interesting element to the mix as well. He's been one of the better 50-mile runners in the world over the last few years. He was second to Jared Hazen at Lake Sonoma this past year uh, before winning the North Face 50-mile championship in San Francisco, of course, one of the most important competitive races of the year every year. Um, and he's also won the... Uh, the uh, Templier race in France twice, which is sort of the equivalent of TNF 50 uh, over there in France. So it'll be interesting to see him step up to the 100 mile distance as well. And when you add those names to, you know, the returning uh, bosses in the field, like Jared Hazen, like Matt Daniels, like Mark Hammond, et cetera, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. I'm really excited to see it. And then on the, uh, on the women's side, we've got two Aussies taking those ultra trail world tour slots in Lucy Bartholomew and Kelly Emerson, both of whom have been very, very strong athletes on the international circuit over the last few years. Lucy was a podium finisher at Western States just a couple of years ago. Kelly has done really well, uh, at UTMB. And of course, we've also got two great Americans, Keely Henninger and Camille Heron, uh, accepting their world tour spots as well. Camille, of course, has had two, I think, kind of high profile drops out of Western states. So man, I would love to see her get to the finish line. It's, I think, unfortunate for her that, you know, uh, you can't start the race at Forest Hill, because from there to the finish line, Camille may have all the tools necessary to win the race, but getting to Forest Hill, running through the high country, somewhat technical terrain seems to be her Achilles heel. So I think with the proper training, the proper focus, obviously Camille could make a splash there, uh, but certainly would love to see her at least, at least make the finish line this year. That'd be a, a big step forward for her. Uh, also two-time TDS winner, Audrey Tangay. This was, I think, a, a really awesome and interesting name to add to the list on the women's side. Uh, as I said, she, she's won TDS twice. Uh, she's done great at Lavaredo, Iger Trail, um, and is one of those sort of up-and-coming racers who's really only been around the scene for the last couple of years, but who is amassing quite a resume so far. So add that to the mix of our good friend Claire Gallagher, who I just mentioned, the defending champ, Brittany Peterson, Casey Lichtai, all of whom are returning podium performers from last year. And then, of course, Magda Boulay, the legend, former champion, former Olympian, Addie Bracey, Beth Pascal, et cetera, et cetera. The uh, Western States fields are looking amazing. And, of course, they're only going to get stronger with the uh, golden ticket races that are just starting now, or should I say just started a couple weeks ago at Bandera, which I want to talk about here in just a minute. But first, I just want to mention one other major theme that I've noticed in these fields as they stand now, and one major theme that may be emerging for 2020, and that is that maybe 2020 is going to turn out to be the year of the double for a lot of these great professional athletes that we have in our sport. Um, one of the things that I noticed is in just looking at the list that people have, uh, that these races have published and 
the um, posts that some of these athletes have put up on their social media, the people doing the Western States UTMB double, so doing both the races in the same summer, are Tim Tollefson, Lucy Bartholomew, Camille Heron, and Brittany Peterson. And I think this is an interesting thing to watch because just from memory, I can really only remember three people doing this well. Uh, that was Tim Olson, who won Western States in 2013 and then finished fourth at UTMB. Seth Swanson finished second at Western States and then fourth at UTMB in 2015. And then Rory, I think, was fifth at Western States and then first at UTMB back in 13 when she demolished the uh, course record. And then, of course, there's Killian Journey, who's just always the outlier and always the anomaly who managed to win both those races back in 2011. But I just, it's so hard to put two performances like that back to back. And it's going to be really interesting to see people uh, that I've just mentioned here and Tim, Lucy, Camille, and Brittany Peterson, um, how they approach it, you know, um, obviously Western States is not the type of race where you just go to try and have a good performance and leave some in the tank for UTMB. That would not be doing the race justice. Um, and of course, UTMB is not the type of race that is very easy to perform well in when you're not fresh. So that, um, several weeks in between the two races, I, I would guess it's probably about eight or nine weeks this year is going to be critical for these folks. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach both the lead up to Western States, the execution of their races there, and then most critically, how they then recover and then train back up for, for UTMB. And then even more crazy, at least in my opinion, are the individuals doing the Hard Rock UTMB double this year. And at least you know, in my brain, I may be missing a couple people here, but uh, at least Francois Dane, Xavier Thevenard, and Courtney DeWalter are all planning to do the Hard Rock UTMB double. And uh, for my money, that seems like something that would be nearly impossible. The races are only separated by six weeks. Obviously, both uh, two of the hardest mountain 100 milers in the world. And of course, both uh, carry a tremendous amount of tradition, expectation, and at least in UTMB's case, really heavy competition. So it'd be interesting to see how Francois, Xavier, and Courtney all approach that hard rock UTMB double. So could it be 2020 is the year of the double? It's an interesting thing to keep your eye on. So, you know, just before closing out here, I want to say a couple of words about the Bandera 100K, which kicked off the golden ticket races here. Uh, of course, the automatic race entries into Western states that are highly coveted and sought after by elite men and women. Um, and the Bandera 100K, of course, takes place in January in Texas every year. And I just wanted to give a massive shout out to my guy, Drew Holman, who won the race this year, coming off an amazing, very strong fourth place finish at the North Face 50 Mile Championship in November. Drew ran an amazing uh, amazing 
tactical race at Bandera, was able to take the lead very late in the race from a wily veteran in Alex Nichols and hold him off to the finish line to take a, a big victory for him. Uh, Drew and I know each other from our days in Marin County. He was a fellow SFRC runner, uh, San Francisco running company guy, uh, often ran Mount Tam with us on Wednesday mornings. He's a former ultimate Frisbee player and just a really good dude who's got a very bright future in the sport. And in my opinion, potentially the hottest free agent on the market right now. So Drew, I hope you get the support you deserve and I can't wait to see your race at Western States. Shout out also to the man, Alex Nichols, quietly the most consistent and underrated dude in the world. Um, I've been following Alex for a long time. I was following the race live and uh, I was shocked to see him in the lead coming through the first lap at Bandera. Of course, that race consists of two 50 kilometer laps and uh, typically Alex's style is to come from behind and have uh, an amazing uh, sort of second half performance. So I was surprised to see him leading through the first half. And uh, of course he held it together, uh, finishing just behind Drew for a strong second place finish and also securing his golden ticket back to Western States where he finished second place uh, to Ryan Sands. I think it was in 2017. On the women's side, it was Elsa McDonald from Canada who uh, delivered another great golden ticket performance. One of the few people to beat Courtney DeWalter over the last few years, uh, which she did at Black Canyon. Uh, so it's good to see her have another shot at Western States as well. And then the other golden ticket went to uh, Michelle Magagna. Can't say I know much about her, but seemed to be a young runner from the Midwest maybe. So uh, good luck to her. Congrats to her. It'll be interesting to see how she does there at Western States. But okay, I think that's enough pontificating for the day. Let me know what I missed, what else I should be looking for. And please do give me your feedback. Obviously, this is a new endeavor for me. Uh, there's a lot to learn and improve. And I'm really open to your feedback, your criticism, and your opinions about things that you'd like to see covered, uh, things that you're interested in things outside ultra running that you would like to see uh, explored here on the platform as well. I'm always open and, and really interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, please do just reach out on the internet. Easy to find at Dylan Bow on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, that's it for this week. Before we go, please give it up to my amazing mother-in-law, Deborah Buchanan, for this, the first iteration the world premiere of Deb's Poetry Corner. Shards of Light If this were the beginning of a new poem, she would call what she felt inside the silence of snow. Memories of straight-shadowed trees, flakes falling hour after hour in the northern light. She walks to the edge of the lake, under the snow, wordless cracks in the ice. Under the ice-cold currents. The world a well, the moment before. Silence seeps from the weighted branches into her ears and eyes, her shoulders. Silence fills her mouth.
She turns to the overhanging night, the open sky filled with shards of light, those long-ago stars, their stories unraveling to her, their faint music becoming stronger, words and dreams all drifting, streaming down in dark currents, sparks, and the voiceless song. In many of my poems, I like to intertwine a number of stories as well as the sounds of words. And the beginning of this uh, has the beginning in many of my winters spent growing up in the Midwest. This particular one was walking along a lake when I was in college in Wisconsin, and the night was so silent and the snow was so deep. And so this is... That is one of the stories here. And then the other story is from a novel by the South African writer Lawrence Vanderpost, who in one of his uh, recountings of times with the San, or Bushman people in South Africa, he gave the story of a woman who had just given birth, and she took her young baby, her new baby, out at night and held him up for the stars to talk to him. And I have loved that image so long because they're not these distant, neutral, completely divorced stars. They're voices singing to us across all of the dark space. And so the silence of the snow and the stars singing kind of intertwined themselves in this poem. 